Hello, this is Tim Convoy, the pastor of New Life Community Church located in Nashville, Indiana. I'd like to thank you for visiting our podcast, and I trust that God will just bless you and encourage you and speak to your heart as you listen to this message. Thank you again for joining us, and God bless you. You're awesome. You're awesome. Put this down here so I can kick it. Children may be dismissed. Children, and you know who you are. Uh, I had a couple of lovely assistants first service. Aiden, maybe you could help me. You don't, guys don't mind. And there are two chairs and the Ten Commandments. Would you bring them out, please? Praise the Lord. Give it up for the team that went to Metamorris and built houses this past week as well. That's awesome. You guys rock. Take time out of their life, out of their work schedule, out of their finances, go down there and build houses for those in need. Look at these guys. What muscles. <laughs> what muscles? Yeah, I guess it depends how you say it. <laughs> Good job, guys. Are they in the right order? Yes. Right to left. Reading. Good morning. How many like the snow out there? How many like it better out there than in here? Okay, good, good. Man, last week in here, it was sweltering hot. So uh, it's nice being a little cooler in here. How many enjoyed the vice president being with us last week? Isn't that awesome? Like, yeah. It was quite, a, quite an honor. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> he talked to me afterwards and he just said, I can't tell you how much Karen and I were blessed being here this week. And uh, just let your people know that. So it's a great blessing for them to be here. But it's a great blessing for us to have them here. Amen? So it's awesome that he feels, they feel blessed being here and worshiping with us. So uh, well, especially considering his schedule, he had to be in South America like the next day. And so it was like, if you were going to South America, or if I were, I'd say, oh, you know, boy, I'm leaving for South America tomorrow. So, uh, and I still have to fly to D.C. to get home. So... I'd forego church today. The Lord would understand, right? So what a, what a great man and woman of God to say, you know what? No, this is important. Of all the places he could come, comes here. So let's give God the praise as we think of those that just have sent in texts and emails and stuff. I just took little snippets out of their praises. And as we do that, here's what I want you to do. You know, if you put your left hand in a vertical position and your right hand in a vertical position and put them towards each other in rapid succession, you know, it does this. It's awesome. So as we share praises, let's give God the praise. And by the way, I do want to make a disclaimer. As we're praising the Lord, any reference to a message or revelation, they're not praising Tim for his sermon. They're praising God for his revelation. There's a difference. Amen? So we want to praise God for his Holy Spirit's revelation to our minds. So as we praise the Lord, let's just think of couple of these and praise with them. Praise the Lord. He opened my eyes today to scripture I never understood before. I feel so blessed in my heart to finally understand it. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. I mean, this person come out tears in her eyes and say, I got it. I got it. That means God's spirit gave them re- that revelation. Another text came in and said, recently I have started reading through the Bible. Well, that's a challenge to read start to finish. I did not understand all the details of the tabernacle, like everyone else does, right? Said so then yesterday you put it 
you put it on the overhead and talked about the symbolism of it all. Wow. Thank you, brother. I say thank you, Lord, for opening up his eyes to see that. Amen? Give it up for the Lord. And praise God, he's really doing a work in me and helping me understand his new covenant. And that's what it's about. Amen? Not the old covenant. We think we know the old covenant, but we don't even know how to recite the new covenant. We can't even say it. So, anyways, we just celebrated... This common union, the blood shed in the new covenant in my blood. So it's good that we know these things. Amen? Amen. 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 All right. We're going to be in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. We've been working through this book of Romans. <clears throat> and pray for me. I'll be suffering in board meetings tomorrow in Florida. I mean, hey, they call it board for a reason. You know? <laughs> You got three days of that. So uh, <clears throat> so anyways, I'll be thinking of you tomorrow. <laughs> now, pray for you, pray for you. Father, bless us. Bless my friends. I love them, Lord. I thank you for their love for me and my wife, for just being our friends, just for <clears throat> growing with us. We're all growing together, Lord. We all rise. We all fall. We all walk. We all run. We all... Just do what we can do for the glory of God. And we bless you for that. We ask, Lord, that your spirit will meet with us today, will speak to us today, will just move in our midst and draw us closer to understand, understand what the new covenant has done for us, what Jesus fulfilling this new covenant promise to us, what that means. Help us, Lord, to get a heart appreciation, not just a head understanding. We love you, Lord, and we ask your blessing and anointing this day in our service. And we all say in Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. We are in Romans chapter 3. Now, we're going to get to our text in a moment. <clears throat> but the message of the text is this, obtaining the impossible. Obtaining the impossible. I also named it attaining the impossible. It's all like, oh, it's attaining, obtaining. You understand? Obtaining. Now, when you first hear that, it sounds like an oxymoron, right? You know, oxymoron, you know, like a large shrimp. That's, that's an oxymoron. And uh, at least you understand moron. The oxy part, little oxy in there. Oxymoron, it, it literally means obtaining the impossible. Now, when we think of that title, you say, wait a minute, it's contradicting itself. It's one statement contradicting. It's a large shrimp. Which is it? It's, a, it's a, obtaining something that's impossible. Well, if it's impossible, then how can you obtain it? Right? So we look at this and say, well, this doesn't make sense to me at my first understanding, even hearing the title. And when we read the writings of Paul, sometimes even those won't make sense. You read the scripture over and over and over. And sometimes they don't make sense to us, many times, even myself. Sometimes it's because I'm not ready to receive it. You know, I'm not mature enough in Christ. I haven't grown enough in Christ. Um, the Scripture refers to those babes in Christ are unskilled in the word of righteousness. He doesn't say babes in Christ are ones that are out doing all his sin. He goes, no, babes in Christ are unskilled in the word of righteousness, explaining what righteousness is, where righteousness comes from, and how righteousness applies. 
And so, you know, we all grow in this. We go from being babes on the milk to later eating the meat of the Word, right? And, and then even lettuce. Lettuce, right? Lettuce draw near. Let it, let. Anyways, I think that's a good one in there. When we came to chapter 2, did I just hear someone go, wow. <laughs> wow. What's that? Bad? Sam. Oh, Gordy just pointed to you. Anyways. Point your neighbor and say they did it. No. <laughs> All right, chapter 2. Remember, we're coming into <clears throat> chapter 3. We have to understand chapter 2. Chapter 2 began with God saying, You are inexcusable, O man, who judges someone else. And why did he say that? He said, Because while you judge someone else, you yourself do the same thing. <clears throat> so God says you are disqualified to sit in a judge's seat. And the reason was as he starts going through chapter 2, is he starts unrailing their hypocritical self-righteousness. Remember that in chapter 2? I mean, chapter 2 is a long time ago. It's probably a week. <laughs> week and a half, two weeks. But in chapter 2, he, he unveiled and showed them their self-righteousness. He said, you tell others not to lie, and yet you lie. You tell others to do this, and yet you do it yourself. And so God just pulls back the curtain on their disqualifications. Now you would think, as he speaks, and he's speaking to the Jewish people who are judging the Gentile people, you would almost think that, man, when the God of the universe pulls the curtain back and says, look, you're being hypocritical here. Look, you're being self-righteous here. When the God of the universe puts the bright light on us, you would think we'd say, oh boy, guilty as charged. And you would think they would humble themselves and say, You're right, Lord. You're right. I've been judgmental. I've been in the seat of judgment. You're right. The very thing I've judged them about, I do myself. You're right. You would think that they would humble themselves and say, You're right. I'm disqualified. Let me get off the judge's bench and get back down with everyone else and just let God be the judge. Amen? You would think that's the attitude, right? The funny part is, when confronting self-righteousness in our text here, then when they were exposed for their double standards and, and, and their hypocritical lifestyle, but then they said, well, we're, we're the seed of Abraham. We're of the circumcision. And, and that gets us in. And God just debunked all that. You remember that? Well, instead of repenting and turning and getting off the bench... Instead, they turn their unjust judgment to God. God said, you're not a just judge to judge the world. So they turned around and they started judging God. They called God's character into judgment. We first read chapter one, uh, 3, verse 1. And then they called God's faithfulness. Will their unbelief make God's faithfulness of no effect? And that's where we're picking it up. So follow with me. Starting in verse 4, when they now impugning God's faithfulness said, what about God? He's unfaithful. Verse 4, is his faithfulness of no effect? Certainly not. God forbid. Indeed, let God be true and every man, say it with me, a liar. In other words, if you're going to have two columns, one column says liars, one column says truth tellers. The, the scripture says, on the side of liars, how many of us belong in that side? How many lies do we have to tell in our life to be there? 
One. Has anyone ever told more than one lie? We're all there, right? And we only had to tell one to get there. Now on this side of the column, it says God. Totally righteous, holy, truth. The names listed under the truth side of the column, how many were listed in Scripture? One. There is only one that is always truthful, never says one lie, can never lie. It's a God that cannot lie. Why? Because He cannot contradict His own uh, character. He cannot contradict His own attributes. God always stays on this column. We are always on this column. And even when we say, I deserve to be on that column, God says, you just lied. Get back on that column. Like, Man. Remember that guy that I met that said he was so holy that he's never sinned? He told me, yeah, it was a cop in Florida. And he said, there's... The only one more righteous than me is the Pope and the Rabbi. I don't know how he got that combination. And he goes, I said, you've never sinned? He goes, no. Remember that? I said, well, the bad news is only sinners can be saved and go to heaven. The good news is you now qualify. Because he who says he has no sin is a liar. Amen? And he just said, yeah, whatever. And I'll feel it. But one column's God, one column's man. So... Let God be true and every man a liar, as it is written. Now see, listen to it. This is, they didn't leave the judge's bench. They put the gavel down and pointed to God. And he says, but you, God, that you may be justified in your words, God, because they're always true, and may overcome when you are, what? Judged. Camp out in that for a second. When you are judged. Who's judging God? The truth side or the liar side? The liar side. And the liar side is saying, God, you're unjust. God, you're unfaithful. God, you are, you, your character is bad. Have you ever heard anyone misjudge God before? Have we ever misjudged God before? We don't do it maybe as brazenly. We don't think He loves us like He says He loves us. We don't think we're forever forgiven like He says we're forever forgiven. We don't think that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus like He said. Now who's, who's telling the truth and who's lying? And so we judge God. And that's what was happening all through uh, the gospel. The, the Pharisees were always judging Jesus. You know, they're like, hey, all right, let's, uh, let's bring this woman in adultery and say the law says this. What do you say? Remember that? And they want to corner him. And so they're trying to find Jesus as being unjust, unqualified. Man, it is crazy when the creature thinks he could judge the Creator. Right? And yet it's all over the place. And it's even within Christianity. Because they thought they could build a case against God. And even Christians, even well-meaning Christians, but misguided Christians, will build a case against God. God. They build a case against God's grace and why it's not as gracious as it might seem. They build a case against Christ's righteousness and say, well, it doesn't work that way. Or they build a case against God's eternal redemption when God said it's eternal redemption. Amen? Then we over here will build a case why it's not eternal redemption. And we build this case against God and we're saying, no, God, you're not right. We're right because here's all the evidence to prove it. And then we build a case, believe it or not, 
We build a case against God's promises. We think we have hard proof evidence that God does not always keep his promises to us. And we say, Lord, you've blessed everyone else. You don't love me. You don't bless me. I've gone through this, and I've gone through that, and we put all our evidence out there. And in so doing, we think we're building a case against God who promised to bless us under Christ. Amen? We are no longer under the curse. We are redeemed from the curse of the law. Can I hear an amen? amen. We're redeemed from the curse of the law that we might be available and now cleansed and purified in Christ to receive the blessings. Amen? The blessings of the promise of Abraham. All the blessings are ours. And we give our case to why, no, nah, I'm not sure about that. When he says, by his stripes were healed, we say, well, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's just talking spiritually. I don't know. I think if we spend more time building a case in favor of God's blessings than we do against God's blessings, we might see more of God's blessings. Just saying. These are how some Christians can be in other churches, in other states. It's, it's crazy. It's amazing. So he says, God overcomes when you are judged. Boy, you think that's difficult for God to overcome our judgment of him? <laughs> Anyways. But here's what he says. Now, follow with this. If our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust? Who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man, he says. So here's here's the conundrum. We're going to go through this. Now he's they're 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 imputing this unlawful judgment to God. So is God unjust to inflict wrath? He says, certainly not, verse six, or God forbid. For then how will God judge the world? For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to His glory, why am I also judged as a sinner? Don't worry, we'll go over all this. And why not say, why don't you just say this, quote, Let us do evil that good may come, as we are slanderously reported of. So people are going around saying, you know what these apostles are saying, these grace preachers are saying? They're saying... You may as well do evil that good may come out of it. And he said, not only are they slanderously reporting it, as some affirm that we say it. So they asked uh, Joe, he said, Joseph, did you hear us, Paul say this? He goes, yeah, I heard it. it was right out of his mouth. He said, you could do evil that good may come. And Paul just says, you know what? Their condemnation is just. However God deals with them, it's just. So when we come to our text, here we are. God's on the the witness stand, if you will. And actually, God's the one who is the defendant, if you could put it that way. They're, they're judging God. Who God had just said they were being hypocrites. God just said you're condemning others and doing the same thing. God had just said you don't qualify to be the judge. They now turn around and say, yes, I do qualify. As a matter of fact, your faithfulness doesn't work. As a matter of fact, you are an unjust God. You know why you're unjust? He said, because our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God So what can we say? God is unjust who inflicts wrath. What are they saying here? What is the basis of their question? Is God unjust? Here it is. If our unrighteousness, which is our inability to live up to the standards, holy standards of God, i.e. the law, if our unrighteousness 
demonstrates how righteous God is, then God must therefore be unjust God to punish us, knowing that we, that he has presented to us, a law which we could not measure up to. In other words, this is an unattainable expectation. So, let me diagram this. We like diagrams, right? Diagram. Circular reasoning. This is called circular reasoning. Here's, here's a reasoning. They say the law is impossible to keep. You cannot keep the Ten Commandments. And because we try to keep the Ten Commandments, we are determined to be unrighteous. Is that true? Yes. But, he said, our unrighteousness shows how holy that law is, and therefore it demonstrates that God is holy. Right? So if God's holy and gives us a holy standard, and then holds us up against it, and we cannot keep it, it shows us unrighteous, then it says that God must be an unjust God to give us a standard that He knows we cannot keep. Does that make sense to you? I mean, it's the reasoning. I just want you to understand the reasoning. Because you read verse 5, and this circular reason is my eyes spinning around going, what in the world is that? They are saying, God, how can you punish us for not keeping a law that you yourself made as a holy God that was impossible to keep in the first place? If you made a law and only gave us 10 of them, and it was impossible to keep that. How can you then turn around and judge us for keeping that, or not keeping that which is impossible in the first place? Now, to understand the answer to this question, because you, you hear similar, it's, it's all the same. There's nothing new under the sun. They just package it differently, you know? You know, how could a, how could a loving God send somebody to hell? You ever heard of that? Let me tell you something about a loving God. He wants to send you to heaven, not hell. We don't want to go where He wants to send us. And so we end up going to hell because we didn't want to go where He wanted to send us. Because God loves you so much, He wants to send you to heaven. Amen? But the world has got this twisted backwards so much that they're or thinking in reverse. And so now they think of this and they say, God's not the one that's, He's the unjust God. God just said, you're the unjust uh, judge. And they're saying, no we're not, you're the unjust judge. Because you gave us a standard that we cannot keep. Now, we're take a breath. What's the answer to this conundrum? The answer is to understand again, fresh and new, what the objective is in these commandments. The objective was the path to righteousness. Remember? All the way back to Abraham. Abraham was given an unconditional covenant. Not thou shalt, but I will. I will do this, I will do that, I will do this. And Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for what? Righteousness. So here's one path to righteousness. It is or believe. He believed God. Boom. God says, you're righteous. And declared him righteous. Amen? And all through the time of Abraham, even when they're in Egypt with Israel, God dealt with them based on the Abrahamic covenant of righteousness through faith. And through grace, He dealt graciously with them. When they wandered in the wilderness, remember, first He delivered them from Egypt, not because they were so good and needed to be delivered, but because they were groaning and praying to God, and God remembered His, His covenant with Abraham and delivered them graciously. And when they were in the wilderness, and they complained, hey, we got nothing to eat. God says, okay, here's some manna. And they said, what is it? It's manna. 
And then they said, oh yeah, I'm getting sick of this manna. I wish you had some meat. And God would blow quail into the, into the camp every day. And so, okay, God says, you're complaining I'm not feeding you. You're complaining I didn't give you anything to drink. I brought you the water, and it was bitter. And he said, throw the stick in and heal the water. And he says, and then you're complaining that I don't give you meat. And, you know, I love it. If you ever read the text back in Exodus, you know what you're going to find? That they're going to eat quail until it's coming out their nose, the Bible says. <laughs> it's, it's what the Bible says. like, that's an awesome text. We should memorize that one. So God... He super abundantly gave them everything in a desert place where there's no food to eat. God brought food to them. You talk about takeout orders. This was taken. They didn't even have to dial it up. God just sent it. Manna, quail, every day, every week, every month, every year for 40 years. But when he delivered them for those three months, all grace, 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 part of the sea, all grace, 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 grace. And then they said to Moses, we don't want to talk to God face to face lest we die. We would like you to go up and talk to him for us. And so Moses went up to, to the Ten Commandments and, and he says, here's what we want you to tell God. Exodus 19, verse 8. Tell God, all the Lord says, we'll do it. You've been dealing with us on grace. That was the path of righteousness. He believed and he was kind of righteous. But we'd rather you deal with us on the place of behavior. So whatever you say, it sounds honorable, We'll do it. Just tell us, Lord. Whatever you tell us, we'll do it. And the Lord's saying, you want me to deal with you on a conditional covenant? That if you do this, then I do this? Or do you want me to deal with you in an unconditional covenant that I already made with Abraham, which is faith by righteousness, or righteousness by faith? You see, there's a big difference. The law demands righteousness from people. But faith provides righteousness for people. And there's a total opposite direction. So when you think of this, they said, we want to obtain righteousness this way. And God, who is holy, says, all I can do, excuse me. Amen. All I can do is give you my holy standards. And they complained about God's standards. But God says, okay, if you want to work your way into heaven, if you want to be righteous enough to enter my presence, God is saying, you have to be this righteous. And you know how high he holds the bar up to? His height. He says, you have to be as righteous as I am. And here is a righteous, holy covenant, a list of behaviors. If you could do these 10, you're in. Could they do those 10? No. Matter of fact, the Lord said, all right, all right, all right. I'll boil it down to two. Love God, love people. Can you do those two? We got a problem, don't we? You see, the thing is, we complain. We say, but that's impossible. You can't, you cannot have a standard that's so high and then blame us for not being able to jump over it. Think about it if God were to set it up on this scale of behavior. When you think about jumping, here, this is a, uh, this is the high jump, right? They never put cushions in front of the hurdles when I tried those. Anyone ever been on a track team? What a waste of time, huh? Oh. No offense. I mean, come on. You drive down the road, have you ever seen a jogger with a smile? They're not like... They're like I, I went out for track one time, track and field. I tried the, the hurdles, you know. I said, oh yeah, I could jump those. And the th funny part is, if your foot hits the top, the back hits your back. 
You hear high range I look like a Vegematic after about three. And I said, okay, I'm not doing that. Forget the high jump. I was short, four foot 11 in 10th grade. I was a little guy. But if God said, okay, if you could jump over this bar, you can get into heaven. Now, here's the thing. Some people can jump over that bar, but not everybody. So that limits a lot of people, right? I mean, I can't, I can get under it. I can do the limbo, but I can't go over it. But God doesn't say if you can jump over that bar. So some say, you know, that bar was easy. And so the guy says, okay, how about this bar? And these guys say, definitely going to be doing this the hard way. Now, now the hurdles are way up there. Listen, God doesn't raise the bar that high and say, jump over. Maybe some can do it. You know how high God raises the bar? He raises it this high. He says, all right, if you can jump over that 40-story building, 44, sorry. If you can jump over that 44-story building, you're in. And they look and say, God, you're not fair. You're unjust. We, we can't jump that building. As a matter of fact, the, the slide previous, I can't jump that, that uh, hurdle. Matter of fact, even the first, I can't jump that one. And you see, the thing is, if God is setting a standard and we complain, we say, that's too high. I can't jump over that. And so what does God have to do in response to our complaint? He says, okay, I'll lower the bar. And if God lowered the bar, some of us may be able to go, what are they, like the scissor kick or whatever? I don't know what they call it. All I know is when I see my toes horizontal to my face, I'm in trouble. Hey, I tried a skateboard once on my son's quarter pipe. That's all I remember, seeing my toes right in front of me. That was was the last thing I remember seeing at that height. But what if God lowered the, the bar down to this high? How many could go over? Maybe he lowers it to this high. What if he lowers it to this high? Well, you know, for me, I'm like, yeah, just lay it on the ground. Maybe I can step over it. But what about those who paraplegics? How are they going to get over it? If he says you got to step over that bar. What are you going to do about those who are immobile? You see, that is called a double standard. If God had to lower the bar for you and raise it for someone else or lower it a little more, then what kind of God would that be? If God did not have a holy perfection as his standard, then indeed he himself would not be holy. Think of what these Ten Commandments would be like if he had to customize them for people, lower his standards. He would say, thou shalt not murder more than one. Thou shalt not commit adultery more than three times in your life. Or thou shalt not lie more than ten times. Thou shalt honor thy parents most of the time. As long as you're at 51%, you're good. You know, when you think of that, if God had standards like that, he would not be holy and pure. He would show partiality because some could do some things, some could not do the others. And the justice scale would be all over the place. Have you ever stopped to think of what the justice scale would be like? You say, well, I've committed no adultery... But I lied 13 times. I went three lies over the limit. Or you could turn around and say, well, I've only murdered one person, so I'm in the limits there. Adultery, I've only stayed at three, so I'm still in the limits there. But man, I only honor my parents 49% of the time. 
And God says, well, if you honored him 51%, you're in. Can, can you see how the scales would just be all over the place? So God could do nothing other than give us a, a perfect, holy standard. And it's crazy to think that somehow God had to have a lower standard if he was going to be a just God to judge the world. It had to be 100% perfection, 100% holy standard. Why? Because God does not grade on a curve. You teachers understand that. God does not grade on a curve. I always prayed, teachers, grade me on a curve. <laughs> hey, I was happy with a C. That's a good curve for me. <laughs> what do I mean by that? Well, let's, let's take a test. Here's your test. What if God just said, all you got to do is pass this test? Now, this is a test some of you are looking at it and say, oh, yeah, that's the physics of, uh, of uh, magnetism. Because, oh, I see, I see the north and south poles of magnetism there. And you can look through it, and some of you are saying, hey, you know, I can figure that out. You know, I got, I got somebody, I mean, some of you guys probably work through the whole thing, except what's under his hand, because you don't see it. And you look through that, and God says, as long as you can get 100 on this test, you're in. Now, do you think that would disqualify any of us here? I was like, man, I can't get 100 on a test. I can't get past the first one. But he says, you need, a, you need 100%. And some of you may be saying, but you know what? I bet you I could get the, I might not get what's under his hand, but I bet you I can get all the rest. And so you got a 99%. So what was your grade? You failed. I got 99%. But here's the thing. God doesn't give us a test like that. And say, well, some of you may be able to, to pass and some of you won't. God gives it so that even little children can understand and pass the test. Right? So he gives the test as if you were in first grade. My little children. How many times does he say that? My little children. Forbid not the little children to come to me. And if they want to know the test, he says, here's the test. Here's the physics test. If you could pass, if you could pass this, you're in. But if you can't get 100% on it, you're not in. But here's the thing. Do you think getting, having to get 100% on that test as a first grader, do you think that's fair and just? No. Sure doesn't seem it, does it? Nobody would do that. Do you think God should grade on the curve because all we did was color a picture on the test? No. So you know what God did? He sent his son down to take the test for us. Are you with me on this? And when Jesus took the test, guess what Jesus got on the test? 100%! Yay, Jesus! Amen? And here's what he did. Yeah, he gave it up for the Lord. He, he, he said, man, he said, listen, I know you first graders can't pass that test. He said, but I love you. Man, I want to send you to my heaven. I can't lower my holy standards on the test, but I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to send my son, who is holy, who is God, I'm going to send him down to take the test for you. And all the little children said, Amen. And he took the test, and guess what he got on the test? A hundred. He got an A+. Plus. But you know the funny part? He didn't sign his name here. He says, you put your name there. He says, I did this for you. He was already holy in heaven. Amen. He came down and took the test for us. And he says, and all I ask you to do, you just go ahead and sign your name. Sign your name there. And believe that I took the test for you. He says, you're in. Does that sound like good news to you? Woo! I'm like, yeah! 
But you know what happens? There's a brainiac out there somewhere who goes, you know, I think I'd do that test. I read through this. I couldn't even spell some of the words on here alone. Take the test. Alone. So they try to take the test. And they think they passed it. How about me? I also got it. God said, no, you missed one here. Does people do that? All day long. You see, friends, if you want to take the test, that's get, trying to obtain righteousness by behavior. Well, if you believe Jesus already took it and passed it for you, now you get the grade by belief. I believe you got a, I believe you got a hundred on that test, Lord. I'm going to accept that as my test. And you know the cool part? The teacher doesn't even mark you off for cheating. The teacher said, Here, here's what I can do. I'm going to give you a test that you can't pass. And I'm going to take the test for you and pass you. And you all got to pass in grade. And some argue, well, that's not fair. He would have done worse on a test than I would have done. I would have done better than he did or she did. The guy says, you know what? But you all would have failed it. Amen? You see, that is what God's grace is exactly about. And this is what the whole argument it says, is God unrighteous to give us a test that he knows we can't pass? No, he's not. This test was not given for you to pass and take and take and pass. This test was given to you and I to show us that we can't do it. Right? And it was to show us that Jesus did it all. Amen? Now here's, now that's, that's good news. Would you say that's good news? That's New Covenant news, friends. New Covenant news. Jesus got the A, and he put it to your account when you accepted it by faith. Now the question goes, well, verse 7, as we wrap it up. For if the truth of God... Now here's, here's, a, here's a conundrum. If the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory. Now let's... If the truth of God... What God said, because would God be true, every man a liar... If the truth of God has increased. Now here's an interesting thing about increase. To increase means to go beyond to, or to exceed the mark or fixed point. Let me explain it this way. You got a 12 ounce glass. You got 32 ounces of orange juice. You're going to put all the orange juice into your 12 ounce glass. Will it exceed the fixed amount that glass can hold? Yeah, it's going to go up and over and over. It's going to go everywhere. This word increase means here's a fixed amount. And whatever it was increased went beyond the fixed amount. It's literally the word to abound. You know what it means to be bound? To be bound means to be constricted. If you wrap yourself in chains, you're bound in these chains. We were bound in trespass and sin. There was this limitation. You put a uh in front of it. It means without bounds, without boundaries. Theist, God. Atheist, no God. Are you with me on this? This word means there's no boundaries. It abounds. It's great. So he says, my lie made God's truth go beyond the boundaries and, and abound. And not only did it make his truth greater, but it also gave glory, more glory to God. It made God look better. Now, here's the thing. He said, if my truth, if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I still judged as a sinner? Right? Hey, I made God look good because I sinned. And why not say, let us do evil that good may come? 1 Adam 12, 1 Adam 12. Anyone hear that? 
Some of you don't even know what I was talking about. One Adam, twelve. Let us do good that evil may that good may come. So now we look at this, and the question is: If my lie made God look better, why am I judged the bad guy? Why am I judged a sinner? If my sin made God's truth look better, if my sin made God's truth increase, if it made His glory look better, then why not just keep doing evil that grace may abound? Which he also said in verse 8 that were slanderously reported of. By the way, grace preachers are usually condemned for two things. Grace preachers are accused of giving people a license to sin. And we know what I say about that, right? Since when have we needed a license to sin? We've done it without a license for years. So grace preachers are giving people a license to sin. That's one accusation. The second one is that we are diminishing God's justice to let people off the hook. We're not demanding the justice of God on people. Now listen, don't think that I am diminishing God's holy standard. I'm not. And don't think that I'm for sin. I'm not. But if you're going to understand what he's saying, that when you lie, God increases, then you need to understand the law of restitution, as I did. As a matter of fact, Corey, before we go to our other text, 2 Corinthians, pull up 2 Corinthians 3, verse 9 for me. It should be in the queue. Read this. 4. If the ministry of condemnation had glory... Did the Ten Commandments have glory? Oh yeah, they were holy. They had so much glory. They had so much shining that when Moses came down, they're like, Ooh, his face is shining. Put a bag on his head. So some of you are thinking with me because I shaved my beard off this week. Ooh. You're like, I wonder what that glare was. And this is a shadow of things to come. Did the, it says the ministry of condemnation had glory. Listen, the ministry of righteousness, Christ's righteousness, which was put to your account, exceeds much more in glory. You see it? It's increased much more. He said, how did that happen? Doctrine of restitution, the law of restitution. To help explain restitution, when I was in Florida, we'll go to text in a minute, in Deuteronomy, not yet though. When I was in Florida years ago, I had a guy go through the neighborhood and he stole a whole bunch of air conditioners. And I just put a brand new one in three months prior. Ouch. Just so they can get the copper. Kind of crazy. The whole thing was like a flower, unpetaled, but all the copper was gone. And they got to love the insurance companies, bless their heart. They don't cover it because it wasn't vandalized. They only stole everything. I said, you want me to go write graffiti on it or something? I mean, what do I do? So it was considered stolen, not vandalized. If it was vandalized, they'd have covered the whole thing. Anyways, we won't, don't get me going on that. The perp ended up getting caught. He was convicted. There's five different houses he hit. And ended up going to jail. And part of his conviction was not only had to do, serve his time, but he also had to pay restitution. I was out $3,600, and for me and the other neighbors, everybody, he had to pay restitution for that. And this was oh, 12 years ago. Praise God, I owe the $64 back so far. <laughs> oh, well, hey, I, it's gone. The court said you, the injury was 
3600 bucks, you owe this guy 3600 bucks. That's under man's law. Let's read about the restitution under God's law as we close things up. Right after the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, you read about the bondservant, chapter 21, which references Jesus. Then chapter 22 begins with this. If a man steals an ox or a sheep, we're probably not in any threat of this. We'll apply. If they steal an ox or a sheep and slaughters it, in other words, it's destroyed, or sells it, it's gone, he shall restore five oxen for one ox. You following this? And four sheep for one sheep. So if he stole one, he's got to give you five. That is a 400%, 400% increase. You say, is that 500? No, because he already had one, right? So that value is now 400% higher. If he took a sheep, that value now is 300% higher. Well, what if it wasn't anything like that? What if he just stole some money or stole some clothing or whatever? Okay, that's verse 7. If a man, here's a man going on vacation. If a man delivers to his neighbor money or articles to keep, and it is stolen out of the man's house, in other words, you went to your neighbor, here, I'm going away, can you hold this for a while? And then it gets stolen. If the thief is found, he shall pay, what? Double. You say, well, how come these are, are different like this? Why are they, you know, ones times five, ones times four, ones times two? It's because when you look at this, the oxen was the farm equipment. This was a person's livelihood. This is how he made his living. And they stole his livelihood. So not only did they take his livelihood, uh, but they sold it or they destroyed it. Now, the sheep is something for his personal benefit. You get the wool, you make a coach, you get the food from the sheep. You may even sell a sheep and make a profit. It may not necessarily be their livelihood. But here's an implement, the ox. Think of the neighbor holding your articles. You go away, you're going to bring them over to the TV. You're like, you know, you just got that new... What's the biggest, 82 inch? Got that new 82 inch TV. I'm gonna bring it over to the neighbor. You think your neighbor's gonna to object to it? Bring it. He's gonna bring it over to the neighbor. While you're gone, somebody goes to the neighbor's house, steals your 82 inch TV and takes off. And now he gets caught. And now that he's caught, he owes you not only your TV back, or if it's gone to replace it, but he also gives you another TV. How many know that you're better off now because you had 282 inch? Are you with me on this? If you stole someone's, not ox, their tractor. You took their tractor and plowed. And then you took it, it's gone, it's destroyed, it's gone. You caught, and how many tractors do you owe the guy that you just robbed? Five of them. How many realize that the guy that was just robbed has an increase now in tractors? His business is going good. He's like, man, I'm going to plow a few more fields. They stole my backhoe, man. Now I got five backhoes. Man, now I got an even bigger business than I had before he robbed me. Are you with me on this? They took your sheep and you got you know, four sheep back. Here is a 400% increase. So here it is. The one that was robbed is in better shape after the crime as restitution than it was before the crime was perpetrated. Am I doing my math right? They increased because the crime that was committed against them. Now, 
because they've increased in the restitution, does it mean that the one that committed it is not guilty of the offense? No. Obviously, he's guilty because he's the one who paid back the five oxen, right? So when we look at this, the thing is, when you and I sinned against God, we are spiritually bankrupt and morally bankrupt to pay back even the debt of the sin, let alone the restitution. You follow me on this? And when you read the scriptures, you know what you find out about God? God has been robbed all through the scriptures. The very last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, or my Italian friends, Malachi. Right? The very last book. You know what that whole book is about? It's God saying, you've robbed me. You've robbed me of my honor. Throw away and say, here, God, be blessed. He says, you have robbed me of my glory. You've robbed me of my honor. Chapter 3, you've robbed me even of my tithe. You've robbed me of all these things. And that's why it ends in the Old Covenant with the word cursed. But then, we learn that not only was God robbed by all these things, but He sent Jesus Christ. Listen, if you owe God for the debt of your sin, plus 400% restitution, do you think you're in trouble? We're so bank. I feel the same way. It's like, that's bad news. Listen, the bad news is you have to get 100 on the test. The good news is Jesus got it for you. Amen? The bad news is your sin and my sin has robbed God. The good news is Jesus came and He paid our sin debt and He paid our restitution and God is now far 500% increased because of our sin originally. Do you realize that? Here is this little nation of Israel robbing God. They won't tell the Gentiles that God justifies the Gentiles by faith. We're not going to tell them that. Jesus came and died on that cross, paid the sin debt, paid the restitution. Now God has millions of people around the globe honoring Him and worshiping Him and praising Him. God has increased because of what Jesus has done for you and I. Amen? Wow! Listen, man, if you owe somebody a debt... And you owed him $5,000. And Gabe said, you know what? I'm going to go take care of that for him. And he went over. He didn't pay back the 5000 You know what he paid him? He paid him 500000 Do you think that person's happy now? Yeah. I'll lend you 5000 But here's the thing. You know, you know how we treat God? You know, God's mad at me today. You know, he's... I didn't do what I should have done, and I, you know, he told me to do it, and I didn't do it. He's mad. When you owe someone a debt, and you don't have the wherewithal to pay it, you know how we behave? We avoid them. And you see their name come up, you go, wrong number. And then all of a sudden, you come in a place where you can't avoid them, they're walking down the hall, you go, and, and you see them, and your heart's beating, and, you're, and your hands are sweating, and you're like, I don't have the, I know I don't have it. I hope he doesn't bring up that subject, because you owe him money. You know what I'm talking about? But then Gabe heard about your predicament. Gabe's an important business guy. He's got to fly off to London tomorrow. But he said, you know, he says, how much does that guy owe you? He said, man, he owes you $5,000. Pulls out his checkbook. Strokes a check for 500000 He said, this will cover it. This will cover it, and then some. 
He goes, hey, you put one too many zeros on it. He goes, no, I know how many zeros I put on there. It's taken care of. Now, he's got to take off to London. He's heading to the airport. And he says to Aiden, he says, Aiden, I want you to do me a favor. He goes, take this note to Tim. Tell him I took care of his debt. Aiden comes to me and he brings me the note. And I look at that note and it says, Gabe paid your debt off. Matter of fact, he overpaid it. The guy that was injured in that transaction is now increased 500 fold. It's all done. And I say, yeah, right. Believe that someday. That's too good to be true. And you know what we do? And that person still, even though the debt's paid, we're like, no, I don't want to talk to them. And that person will walk by like this. Hey, Tim. Because why? Because he knows the debt's paid. And, it, and he's a rich man. He says, hey, I just bought a new condo. I just bought a new mansion. Like, well, yeah, that's nice. You know, I don't have your $5,000. And that's our whole attitude towards him. Because the de- has the debt been paid? Yes. Has it been overpaid? Yes. Has he increased? Yes. Is he mad at you? No. Are we afraid of him? Yes. Wrongfully? Yeah. Instead we should be going, hey, I heard Gabe paid off my debt. Yes, he did. Praise the Lord. Do you think you'd have a whole different attitude if you accepted that note and said, you know what? I believe that. I can't believe he's that good and gracious to me. I, I believe that. And you know what I'm going to say to Gabe? Wow. Thanks, Gabe. I didn't deserve that. I didn't even deserve the 5000 because I know. But I love you, Tim. I want to take care of that for you. I don't want you ever to fear that guy anymore. Matter of fact, you can smile when you see him. Because that guy's no longer mad at you. He loves you. He's he just been blessed because of you. Friends, I want to tell you something. That's exactly what the gospel is. And yet, even as Christians, the devil tells you God's mad at you. And God doesn't want to hear your voice. You've asked for that thing. You've asked for deliverance so many times for that. But I'm here to tell you something. Jesus overpaid for your sin debt. That's good news. Amen. God is no longer mad at you. Amen. As a matter of fact, we're not going to read it today. But you read Deuteronomy 28 sometime. And you won't get past verse 1 because verse 1 is going to say you have to keep all the commandments. But if you get past verse 1 that says keep all the commandments, you know what verse 2 says? God's going to bless you. You know what verse 3 says? God's going to bless you. Verse 4, God's... You know what verse 2 says? That the blessings are going to overtake you. They're going to run you down and tackle you. And then verse 8 is going to say, and God's going to command His blessing. Blessing? Go get on Tim. And I'm running. But we never get past verse 1 because it says I've got to keep all the commandments. And, and the Lord says, you already got an A on the test. Jesus Christ got you past verse 1. Amen? Every time you see it, that all these blessings, if you keep all the commandments, do all that the Lord says to you, you look at that and you say, you know what? That's me now. Because my Savior took the test for me. And I got an A+. Plus. Amen. Stand with me. Listen. All the blessings of your ministry team come. 
Maybe you're here today and you haven't been saved yet. Maybe you say, you know, I need to know Christ my Savior. There'll be folks here to introduce you to Jesus. You could be forever saved by putting faith in Christ. But ministry teams come and they'll pray for you. You're here and you say, I don't deserve to be healed. That's okay. We don't deserve anything. But he still heals us. You come. If you're not on a ministry team, but you know how to pray, you come. People will be here to just pray for folks that may come. You come. You come. These folks are coming. You come. There's folks here to pray for you.